Hey friends, welcome to Tough Cookie Talks. Before we get into today's episode, I gotta tell you about Kettlebell Social. It's here. Kettlebell Social is my newly revamped online strength training program and community for women who like to do hard things but are trying to be more chill in their approach to fitness. It's opening for enrollment September 18th, 2023. So depending on when you're listening to this, you can go to the link in the show notes and either get yourself on the interest list or just sign up and join us. Here's the deal. Your workouts are meant to enhance your life, not consume it. You maybe love to work out, but like you have a whole ass life to live outside of the gym. You're so over using exercise to shrink yourself and you love feeling like a badass, but you also need it to be fun and flexible and free. And you're ready to start questioning the arbitrary rules around fitness and stop following advice that wasn't meant for you. If this sounds like you, we're your people. Come play inside of Kettlebell Social. You can check out the link in the show notes for more info. Welcome to Tough Cookie Talks. I'm your host, Jenna Josephowski, but you can call me Jenna J. I'm a semi-retired professional dancer, dance teacher, and yoga teacher, turned certified personal trainer and kettlebell instructor who helps active women learn to lift and get strong with equal parts challenge and compassion. After years of working in the fitness industry, I got sick and tired of watching people, including myself, run themselves into the ground, trying to uphold the narrow-minded image of what our culture sees as healthy and fit. But instead of giving it all up, I decided that I'd rather change the game, call out the BS, extract the good, and help others learn to use movement as a way to build themselves up rather than tear themselves down. On this podcast, we'll explore the intersection of fitness and anti-diet culture and all the gray areas in between. We'll let go of shoulds and judgments and dig into tough conversations with curiosity. Things get pretty spicy around here, so grab your headphones and let's do this. Hey friends, welcome to Tough Cookie Talks. Today we are having a conversation that I'm so excited to share with Diana May, who is um, actually one of my first and favorite yoga teachers that I ever had. And we recently reconnected on Instagram because of something that I have been doing recently, which is pretty much unfollowing everybody that I don't have some kind of personal or professional relationship with. So I've cut out a lot of like the noise and the big popular accounts. And as a result, what's been left is the people that I actually know in my life and people that I would actually care to speak to. And as a result, I got to talking with Diana, who I haven't talked to in years. And I realized that while we've gone our separate ways, since I first took her yoga class, probably, gosh, well over a decade ago, at this point that we're doing similar work, but in different fields and have a lot of really aligned perspectives and I know you are going to love this conversation. So Diana May is a lifelong learner, yoga teacher, environmentalist, and somatic practitioner. She's taught full-time for 14 years, and since the pandemic has transitioned into being an entirely online yoga teacher. She believes that the big-scale shifts she wants to see in the world come down to nervous system regulation, the ability to slow down, enjoy life in the present moment, and build a compassionate relationship with your full experience. 
And today we are talking a lot about nervous system regulation, which tends to be a little bit of a buzzword in the fitness and wellness space these days. But I love how she breaks it down into ways that make sense for a variety of perspectives, not only when you look at movement, uh, the way that she teaches yoga, the way that I coach strength training, but also just in the full scheme of our life. And then we also talk a bit about the stages of menopause, which I know for a lot of us, especially if you're like me in your 30s or soon to be 40, in my case, around that age, you might think that this is not something that's affecting you just yet or that it's something that's going to happen later when you're a little bit older. But in reality, some of these shifts could actually be happening to you right now. And let me tell you, the reason um, perhaps that a lot of us are feeling just a little bit nuts right now. It's all connected. And I know that you are going to just feel seen and I don't know, just really calm and grounded by this conversation. So without further ado, let's go talk to Diana. Hey, Diana, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jenna. It's so great to be here. I am so happy that we got to reconnect. Do you want to tell us a little bit about you and the work that you do today and how you got into it? I do. And I guess what I think is most relevant to share is when I when I was younger, like a kid, I was one I was always very counterculture and I always thought that whatever was in the mainstream was not for me. I wanted to be different. Mm. And that that included taking care of your body and going to the gym. Because even though it came from a good place, I had a very misguided understanding that the only reason why anyone would take care of their body and go to the gym was for vanity. And that was not for me. So I wrote off the gym. I wrote off um, taking care of my body. And I became more of an academic, more of a musician, more of an artist. And when I got into college, I didn't have a great way to deal with stress and largely because I was very disconnected from my body at that point. And so as I got more and more stressed and my body was deteriorating more and more, my sister told me that yoga helps with stress. And at that point in Michigan, yoga was still weird enough and not in the mainstream enough for me to consider going. So I was like, mm. what is this yoga thing? I'll give it a try. Okay. Yeah. And that was the first time I, I know this sounds weird, but it's really the first time I realized I had a body and that mm. I could feel good. And I also realized I didn't know anything about my body. Um, so I don't I think that sounds weird at all. I actually feel like I know a lot of people that are going to find that very affirming, especially coming from somebody who now teaches a style of movement. So yes, please tell us more. Yeah. Yeah. So I kept practicing yoga and like the brainiac that I am, I also really want to understand things. So I ultimately did my yoga teacher training. Um, I was going to grad school at the time. And I always joke that when I when I finished my master's degree, I became a full-time yoga teacher. And for many, many years, my mother, if you're listening, mom, hi, um, <laughs> she would always ask me for years when I would get a real job 
Ah. <laughs> um, but I just knew that yoga for me was more than what it appeared to be to everybody else. And so I really took it seriously and I, I just kept studying and I kept learning. And fast forward many, many years later, I'm still doing it and I'm still fascinated by it, but I really have gone in the direction as I've aged and as I've evolved in my own movement and I've really gotten to understand my own body a lot more. Um, and what I started to see in other people too is that not yoga doesn't always work. Mm. And, um, like why does, why do sometimes I feel better and sometimes not? Why or a practice that I really like that I, that I, it really helped me. It doesn't always seem to land with other people. Yeah. And so these questions really pushed me in the direction to learn more about the nervous system. And so that's been a huge focus of my study over the last several years. I'm studying more in depth, what the nervous system is, how it impacts our movements, how it impacts our life. Um, and it yeah. turns out it's pretty big. So so let's talk a little bit more about the nervous system because this is definitely a buzzword, especially in the fitness and wellness space these days. I think for better or for worse, a lot of people are throwing it around and some people know what they're talking about and some people are just using it because it seems to be the trendy thing to do right now. But since you've been studying it, can you give us a rundown of exactly like what the nervous system is and what you mean when you use that term? Um, and then also how you use that perspective to inform the work you're doing as a yoga teacher. Yes. So the nervous system is pretty big and there's different, I guess, kinds or umbrellas of the nervous system. So one thing, for example, is the central nervous system, which is our brain and spinal cord. Um, right. But you also have the peripheral nervous system, which is the rest of your, like the actual physical structure of the nerves in your body. Um, and you have your somatic nervous system, which is more, I think, what yogis are more familiar with, whether they know the terms or not, mm. um, which is where you're moving your body. <laughs> Um, and your brain is telling your body to move and also your body is sort of giving information back to your brain. Um, what I have studied more is the autonomic nervous system, okay, which is precognitive. It's the part of the nervous system that has to deal with your survival. Okay. And it's, like I said, it's precognitive. So it, it works without your brain thinking about it. So all the systems that run when you're sleeping, um, everyday life that just keep you alive. How do how does your body stay alive? It's through this system of the autonomic nervous system. Okay. And yeah, a, a lot of people, I know I'm going on a tangent here. <laughs> That's okay. I do it all the time. I know you're circling back to all the things that we need to hear. Yeah. So in the autonomic nervous system, um, for a long time, like when we were in high school, potentially we heard that it was simply the sympathetic branch of the nervous system and the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. You have your gas and you have your brakes yeah. and they work sort of like when your sympathetic is on, it's fight or flight. And when you're relaxing, that's the parasympathetic and it's your resting and digesting. Yes. Um, which is a great starting point. We've just learned a lot more since then. So... 
the entire system, I'll, I'll just say this, our, our body is constantly neurocepting our environment inside and outside. Uh-huh. So, and it's, it's constantly scanning for if we're safe or if we're under threat. Um, and I think the statistic is our body is neurocepting 11 million bits of information every second. Okay. Can and, I say something about this real quick? Because I feel like yes. it's very applicable to what I see a lot of my clients dealing with at this particular moment in time, which is for the past few years, we've just been dealing with um, crisis after crisis and historically unprecedented event after historically unprecedented event. And now we have social media that is just feeding us what I have in a roundabout way with no like science behind it said that we weren't meant to handle this amount of information period, but much less this amount of the kind of information that we're getting right now, which is like grief and trauma and all sorts of very stressful things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And what's super fascinating too, is that our cognitive brain can only handle about 40 to 60 bits per second. Mm. So in any given moment, we're vastly, there's, we have such a wider experience than just what our cognitive brain can hold. Yeah. And so when we're constant, when we're in a stressful environment or when we're kind of bombarded with all these other things, even if you're not directly reading something or taking it in and holding it in your brain, your body is still affected by this and by the energy that it's neurocepting from other people or, um, you know, it, it's really outside of our conscious brain. Yeah. But it affects, it affects our body's experience. Are we safe or are we at ease? Mm. Yeah. And I can't help but thinking how I, I don't know of many people that are at ease right now. Maybe you are. Maybe you can help us <laughs> figure out how to be more at ease. But like, oh, damn, that hits. Yeah. 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 And um, one thing I really like to share, too, is that, you know, one of the things I see a lot of people talking about is I want to regulate my nervous system. I want to regulate my nervous system. Or a yogi saying, I really want to be calm. I want to be level-headed about this, um, which I fully support. I want that too. Um, But regulated doesn't mean flatlined. So Mm. a a regulated system really has capacity to go up and down, um, which is the natural rhythm of our autonomic nervous system, which is embodied in our breath, for example. We breathe in and we breathe out. we get a little upset or activated and we relax a little bit. So a regulated system isn't flatlined. Like I can handle everything and not be affected by it, Uh but it's our, it's our capacity to hold the waves. And if Uh we do get bumped up a little high or feel under threat, we can return to a more centered place where um, we have more possible, we have more possibilities Ooh, Um, this feels like a metaphor for what I talk about with strength training is that when we're able to, you know, grow our capacity, for example, like in the gym, in a more controlled environment, then we're able to handle 
the chaos of life a little bit better. Oh, I, yeah, I see so many metaphors between strength training and the nervous system as well. Like you would never, if somebody has never been to the gym, you wouldn't, and they haven't worked out in a long time or whatever it happens to be, you would never give them a 250 pound weight and say deadlift this. Like you start small and you build capacity to lift whatever weight you want to lift. And also within the framework that like, So what if you can lift 250 pounds? Right. And same (laughs) is true for yoga, right? Like you're not going to get brand new students into your class and all of a sudden like pop everybody into a handstand or something like that. Even if you're working towards that, you're going to build to that over, you know, the series of like a lifelong practice or like even within a single class itself to get ready for that. I think that's kind of a good segue. And I'm going to go out of order with my questions a little bit. Um, But can we talk a little bit more about how different types of movement, such as yoga and strength training and anything else you can think of, can potentially either support our nervous systems or push us into deeper dysregulation um, and how we can kind of tune in and figure out what we actually need? Because I'm guessing that that probably applies to what you're talking about, where like you go to yoga to feel more calm, but then you don't feel more calm and you're like, what is going on? Yeah. And I mean, gosh, I wish I knew, I wish there was a prescription to this. And I actually think that um, what I see a lot on the social media type thing, which I totally get because you have 30 seconds to try to explain a huge concept to people, but um, there seems to be a prescription craze going on where it's like, if you feel stressed, do this thing and you will Mm. become not stressed if you're in a freeze state, do this and that will calm your free state. Um, and it's just not that simple, even though these practices might support most people coming out of a free state or might support most people calming down. Um, it's not a prescriptive thing. So working with people's nervous systems requires much more nuance and really more of it's learning. Yeah, it's the learning how to listen which is your original question and the need or the want to fix your state, I would say doesn't come necessarily from a regulated state that comes more from like, Oh my gosh, things aren't good. I need to change it. It's this urgency Mm. to that. I'm not okay. I need to change it. I need to fix it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I really like to just have, a space where you can be how you are. And that's like the foundation of what I try to share in a public class, for example, is like, however you are is fine. Um, And we have to be able to be where we are in order to know where to go versus just randomly doing things, hoping we're going to get better. Yeah. Well, it makes me think a lot about, and you alluded to this off, um, like, when we weren't recording about people who sometimes insist on doing like the most intense activity at all times. And it's perhaps like not what their nervous system needs, but they somehow crave it. And then they wind up like perpetuating their own state. Do you have more to say on that? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I have a lot to say because I did it myself for so long and 
Um, I see people doing it as well. And I, I actually think that's a really intelligent response of the system because it's a familiar, we're trying to create a familiar safe space. Yeah. And so if we're, for example, I'll use a classic yogi example where um, we want yoga to calm us down. And so we're going to go into a yin a yin class where you're holding a sustained stretch for a long time and you're asked to not move, which can be really helpful to a lot of people, but it also mi mirrors a freeze state or a collapse state mm. where you're just laying there not doing anything, even though something might be hurting or some, a sensation might be getting more intense, but it's for some people, it can feel really good to just get into a deep stretch and hold it and not move and have this intense stretch happen, but like not move that can mirror a collapsed state. Mm. Yeah. And, and on the flip side is the people who have really intense practices and their systems are used to, they're already in an activated sympathetic state. They're go, go, go all the time. And so they might feel more comfortable in a very vigorous, fast-paced class because that's what their system is used to. Yeah. Ooh, I feel seen. Um, <laughs> yeah, and what's wild is that that very much has been me in the past. And I think, like, there's an element of, like, like trying to tune into your body, but sometimes... Sometimes it can be helpful, I think, to like look at some of the objective things around you as well. And I think this will go into some of the other stuff that we're going to talk about because uh, we talked about this offline too, about like, are you supporting yourself in other ways to be able to handle this specific type of movement? For example, like, are you feeding yourself enough? Have you had enough sleep? Have you, um, you know, drank more water than you have coffee? Raise his hand, sips coffee. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It can be tricky to figure out like what your body needs, especially when you are in like this comfort zone of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to say like, it's not bad to do that. Yeah. It's not wrong to do that. It makes a lot of sense and it can feel good to do that. And there's a point to that as well. So I don't want anyone to think like, oh, I can never go to a yin class again, or I can never go to a vigorous class again. Like, um, but when we start to learn how our own system works and what we really need, like, oh, I, I notice a pattern that I'm always on the go and I always really crave the fast paced classes, maybe, um, so one thing I like to t remind people is to titrate the slowness. Mm -hmm. So maybe you don't go to a restorative class because that would be completely aggravating to somebody who's go, mm -hmm. go, go all the time. Yeah. But like you said, it's like just tiny reminders, like how can I slow down a little bit or go from like a rushed, like you can move quickly without ru being rushed. Yes. Um, so kind of holding that energy a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we work with people's nervous systems, one of the things that I'll work with somatically versus in a yoga class, for example, is um, completing incomplete responses in your system. Ah. 
And so that's really the key difference between like a yoga class or strength training and um, like healing trauma in your body via the nervous system. Mm-hmm. As you're working directly with the trauma or the repetitive loops in your system that keep you going at that same pace. Because at, at one point in your life, that strategy of go, go, go kept you alive, kept you yeah. safe. And so yeah. until you kind of complete incomplete responses in your body, your system is going to be looped in that way. So mm. no matter how many vigorous yoga classes you go to, um, you have to really work specifically with your trauma via the body. So, Which sounds like you might want to work with somebody individually on that. And is that what somatic experiencing is? Because I know that's not necessarily what we're talking about today, but I know that's something that you practice and that I know of others that practice as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's so interesting. It makes me... Well, wow. I could just, I could go on so many tangents, but stay on topic, Jenna. I'm very interested in this. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the stages of menopause as it relates to the nervous system um, and sort of as it applies to different types of movement, because this is something that I've been hearing pop up uh, for a lot of my clients and peers, more specifically talking about like perimenopause, uh, because a lot of us are in our like late 30s, early 40s. Can we talk a little bit more about that and when uh, different stages specifically tend to occur for people? Yes. And this is my other big passion is just helping people with these life transitions that will happen. Um, And how can we support people going through these Almost, I like to consider it more of a rite of passage, Uh but what, so menopause is essentially one day in a person's life and you only know what's happened in retrospect. So it's really considered the day when you've had a year of no periods. So the last day of your cycle, and you don't know when that is until a year later. Got Um, it. So menopause is one single day, but the stages of menopause is basically everything around that. Okay. So perimenopause, or essentially the perimeter of menopause that one day, um, perimenopause is the time directly before menopause happens. Uh-huh. And on av- on average, it lasts about seven and a half years. Cool. That sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah. So, so perimenopause is essentially the fluctuation, the more erratic fluctuation of the female sex hormones, estrogen, leading to the overall decline of estrogen and progesterone. Okay. Um, And perimenopause is really, you might know you're in it. it. There's a ton of symptoms. I can go over that in a little bit, but you can have a huge array of symptoms um, that happen. But the signature is of perimenopause is irregular periods. Okay. So you're heavier bleeding and then lighter bleeding, or you skip a period, or then you have two periods that come close together. Mm -hmm. Um, So perimenopause is when your actual cycle starts to change and you're probably experiencing some other symptoms too. Okay. Um, And then the period. So then there's also the late reproductive stage, which happens before perimenopause where your hormones are still cycling or, or, um, 
your estrogen is still fluctuating more erratically, leading to the overall decline, but it hasn't been enough to affect your periods. Okay, got it. But you still can have all the other symptoms. So the late reproductive stage, that actually sounds like, I feel like maybe what a lot of my clients are experiencing and potentially me, but are calling it perimenopause regardless. I haven't actually heard that term before, late reproductive stage. Can we talk more about that? Yeah. So the late reproductive stage, I I just think it's really interesting. And I want to educate everybody on this because I didn't know about it either. And a lot of symptoms can be things like acopia or being overwhelmed, mood uh. swing, having um, mood swings, anxiety, depression, brain fog, forgetfulness, insomnia, all these things that can happen um, that and a lot of time women in particular, but all people like we think we have to put up with pain and uh-huh. we're so used to it that it's like um, this is just life and it might be and it's also could be um, related to this natural transition you're going through and especially if your periods are not irregular or you're on hormonal birth control where you don't have a period for example you might not know you're in this stage and you might just think you're going completely insane okay and (laughs) diana this is how we've all been feeling the conversations i've had with friends clients whereas like is this me being a toddler mom is it long (laughs) covid yeah is it late stage capitalism? Is it uh, like uh, just the aftermath of the past like several years yeah. Um, yeah. and overcoming that? Like what the hell is this? Or is it anxiety or depression or is that a part of it? Oh my God. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to say it's not the other things either. You know, yeah. like it's it's really just Um, another piece to the puzzle of what is happening. And as our hormones do begin to fluctuate more erratically, these things can exacerbate each other. So if you're experiencing job loss or um, pandemic stress, or you care about the state of the world and you see these horrendous things happening and you can't, and you feel helpless. Yeah. um, Like all these things can affect your overall well-being and, when you're in late reproductive stage, all these things are heightened. So, uh, and so, and I, can I like just how, share one? Can I just 100%. share one more fact? Yes, go. <laughs> because the age range is really fascinating too, if you think about it. And I just so menopause that one day, the average age is fifty-one. Okay, but but anywhere above forty-five is considered normal. Okay. Um. And so, and 1% of the population is going to go through it early. So it's called premature menopause where it happens in your third, it's it's normal for it to happen in your thirties. It's more rare, but 1%. um, So for example, that's in the U S it's like three, 330,000 people or or women are going to go through this in their thirties. And so if you then consider perimenopause, which is seven and a half years on average, and then even before that is the late reproductive stage, you can be in your 20s and experiencing this. You can be in your 30s and experiencing this. We So many people tend to think, oh, that's not until I'm in my 50s or late 40s, but actually um, it can happen much, much earlier. 
I wish the audience could see my face right now because (laughs) I'm just like, I am in awe and I am thinking about so many people that I've been talking to that have been struggling in so many ways and trying to figure out what is going on. And there's, it sounds like there's just a lot at play. So how, how do we support ourselves through that? And what kinds of shifts do you think we maybe need to make in order to support ourselves? Yeah. I mean, I think the number one thing, there's a few, but the number one thing goes back to just tending your nervous system, listening to your body. Because if you're tired, you're probably tired. Um, And so a lot of people, especially in this time where it's like, oh, they might be unhappy or because of X, Y, or Z. And so they're going to work out harder. Uh Um, Our system during this transition where our estrogen is more erratically fluctuating, going to a decline affects our whole body. Uh And it's a, it's a period in our life where we actually do need more rest. Um, And we don't recover as quickly because estrogen supports a lot of the feel good hormones and a lot of the anti-inflammatory things. So when we work out or if we do experience stress, and I would say like a hard workout is stress on the body, intentional, um, we need more recovery time from that. Yes. And we, so one thing we can do is to listen to our bodies more. Like if you're tired after a workout, rest, eat a little bit more, rest a little bit more, drink more water and not just to keep pushing yourself and pushing yourself because um, that's what you've always done. Yes. And I will add something to that because I think a lot of my clients and listeners are very much uh, how you were in the sense that they're maybe a little bit d- disconnected from their body, whether that is like just, you know, not not at all like acknowledging what is there. But also I think a lot of us, just because of like diet culture and wellness culture, have been taught to tune out our bodies and their signals in favor of this is how many calories you need to eat. This is how many macros you need to have. This is how many times you need to work out per week for this many minutes. And it's so prescriptive that we just sometimes like put our heads down and do the work and that's become our comfort zone without I guess being curious about it and being like, huh, I am more hungry today. What if it was just okay to eat more than the serving size? Yeah. And I say it is. And I know you you say that too. Like a hundred percent. It is. Yes. Um, And it's also something where when, if you did have sort of that, and we all maybe have this where we have a period of our life where everything is running how our brains want and we're on our best routine and things are going according to our brain's best plan. Um, But then all of a sudden the same thing stops working for us. Yeah. And this also could be uh, the, this late stage reproductive in our shift in hormones really does change the game. So a lot of people do have to change how they're living their life. Um, to be in optimal health. And I'll also segue this that like, I do think even the term health is overrated. Like you don't have to be healthy every day of your life. Like you can give yourself the freedom to not be healthy. And that is okay. That is actually quote unquote healthy. Um, Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm, 
I have, I've just, I have so many thoughts and I feel like my mind is blown. And this is the conversation, the conversation that I don't think even I needed to hear. Like, damn, this wasn't, this is an off the cuff question and you can feel free to tell me you're not sure you need to research it anymore, but is there a way you can like know if you're in that place? Like, is there testing that you can get done or is it just kind of like you have to you know, be like, well, I guess this could be it and support yourself the best you can. Yeah. I mean, the the challenging thing is it's very hard to get accurate testing done because hormone, you could ask for a hormone test. Um, mm-hmm. Many doc, a lot of medical doctors are not trained in menopause. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have like a, an, a general understanding, but even OBGYN, mm-hmm. um, you would want to find a doctor who understands more of the science and the biochemistry of menopause and the Mm -hmm. stages of menopause. Um, But even then your hormones are going to be fluctuating. So you could take a hormone panel and it says your hormones are in a good spot. um, But in this time they're fluctuating so erratically that you actually, it's very, very hard to get a test that can say like, Oh, my hormone levels are, in this perimenopause days because they just change so rapidly. Um, so the the best thing I can say is that just to really understand and continue this sort of daily check-in, which is really a rich, I consider it a, a ritual at this point of just like how I do it is like I close my eyes, I might put my hand on my body um, and I just sense what, how I'm feeling. And I know that sounds weird, but um, just doing that day by day, it can be a meditation. Yeah. Um, I read this book and it's called, what is the book called? It's a book on birds. And so it's, it seems completely irrelevant, but it's a book on bird watching. And it's an ornithologist who studied bird watching for 40 years Yeah, and wrote a book about watching birds. Okay. And He basically says that you go to the same spot every day for an extended period of time, 30 or 40 minutes, and you get to know this little piece of land. Mm -hmm. And if you go one day, you're not going to know what's normal. Mm. You'll go to the piece of land and you don't know that the bird that's on the branch, if it's there every day or if it's a special bird that's there just the time you happen to be there. Yeah. So you go every day at around the same time and check in and notice what is your baseline. And then you might begin to notice what's outlier for you. Like, oh, I have more anxiety today. Oh, I'm hungrier today. That's like out of my norm. I have a range of hunger that I normally feel. But today it's like really I'm hungrier. Uh Yeah. And I think about this in the way that I encourage my clients, even like from a strength training perspective, to be curious when they go into their workouts, like starting their warm up and seeing how their body feels in conjunction with all of those other things like stress level, how fed, rested, hydrated you are, like all of those other things that are coming into play. But then knowing for yourself, like what you're feeling in your body when you're doing something. And noticing, like, does this weight feel heavier than normal for me today? Like, you know, is it 
is it worth it for me to take it up a notch to that weight that I did last week? Or do I need to actually stay down here because the like perception of this weight feels different in this moment? It's it's so interesting. And then I hear you talking about like the bird stuff. And I don't know if you follow um, my my friend, Christina Montalvo, who is always posting like nature things in her uh, in her Instagram stories and pictures of trees and making like life and fitness analogies. She calls it uh, she calls it like tree church or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know her, but I like her. Yeah, <laughs> it's oh, wow. It's, it's fascinating, but yeah, there's always, there's always a metaphor in there somewhere. Yeah. And then the other thing I'll just say too, you know, you might not be able to um, know exactly where your hormone levels are if you're in late stage or perimenopause, like you won't know until after the fact. Yeah. Um, But one thing we can really do is, as you said, like keep checking in with your body and really prioritize the relationship to yourself. Um, tending your nervous system and getting to know your nervous system. I like, if you do have trauma and in somatic experiencing, we kind of learn that everybody has trauma Mm. in a way. And I I know that word gets thrown around a lot as well. Um, But trauma is essentially anything that's too much, too fast, too soon for your system to handle. Yes. So we all have that at different times. Um, I don't know any living human being who has not experienced too much, too fast, too soon at one point in their life. And Um, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm cutting you off right now, but this is something that I say often. And I didn't even register as like a trauma thing, but from a physical perspective, I talk to people a lot about um, like the concern of getting injured when you're lifting weights. And the thing that I always talk about in there is like progressive overload and how the points when you're more likely to injure yourself, AKA like physical trauma to your yes. body is when you do too much, too fast, too soon. See, there we go. And it is an wow. trauma to your body. You're injuring your tissues, um, which there's a whole segue around like tissue injury does not necessarily mean pain, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, that can be a trauma to your body. Um, So really, I'm a huge fan of like leaning into pleasure, leaning into joy and building our capacity to experience pleasure because pleasure is the cornerstone of safety in the body. Yeah. Your autonomic nervous system, which is constantly neurocepting if you're safe or if you're under threat. The Mm. more you can lean into and experience micro moments of pleasure the safer your system is going to feel, the more regulated your system is going to feel, and the more you'll have capacity to handle the ups and the downs. I love it. I love it so much. Can I, I just want to like talk about pleasure. Actually, I want to be like, peace out and like go take a (laughs) hot shower right now because that sounds really good to me. But um, if, if we're wanting to lean into that, that pressure, our, not pressure. Wow. Um, let's try that again. If, <laughs> if we're wanting to lean into that pleasure on the flip side, what sorts of things might we be doing that are making our symptoms worse and how do we know that? And then what do we in turn do instead? Wow. I don't even know where to, <laughs> we, 
<laughs> you might have to edit this. Will you ask me that question one more time? 100%. Okay. I mean, how about I ask you one part of that question at a okay, time? Okay, great. All right. So what sorts of things might we be doing that are, without us knowing, making our symptoms worse? Gotcha. Yes. Well, I mean, I like to keep things as simple as possible. Things that create stress in your system are things that deplete our resources. So mm. when you when you skip a meal, when you don't fuel your body, like we need food, we need water. So when you skip meals, when you're dehydrated, that's a stress on your body. And that's really simple to um, keep up with, like keep mm-hmm. yourself fueled, keep yourself hydrated. Um, if you're, you know, this is hard because people like a I might like to do something, but it might be stressful for somebody else. 100%. You know, like I love classical piano, but for some people it's aggravating to them. Some mm. people love jazz music and that's aggravating to some people. Um, but doing consciously creating things in your life where you are well maintained um, is overall going to help your system. And when you deplete your system or work too much or never take breaks or that kind of thing, it's going to make everything on more alert. And we live in a society where we can't always take breaks. Yeah. We live in a society where we do sometimes have to override our bodily cues. You can't go to the bathroom if you're in the middle of a meeting sometimes. Right. You can't take a break when you have a sick child. Like, so... I understand that life doesn't give us the capacity to just have ease all the time, but micro moments, adding micro moments when you can, pausing, taking a breath. When you see light hit a tree that's really pretty, take a moment and look at that light beam or whatever and see if you can feel that in your body and just build this connection of like a felt sense of pleasure in your body from these small, simple things. It's micro pleasure and it's micro rest. And I think a lot of us, yes, the the like not having the ability to take that rest is very real. I think about this like as a parent of a toddler, how I would love to wake up in the morning and just lay in my bed and check in with my body. But I'm waking up to mama, mama, like that, not possible at that time. But I think what a lot of us do is put all of these things on our plates that don't need to be there or don't need to be there in that way. For example, telling yourself, well, I have to do, um, I'll use something I've been talking to my clients about a lot recently, which is like, I have to do three workouts a week because they're programmed for me. And I have to follow this program to a T where actually, no, you don't. You could do only part of that program. You could choose a different style of movement instead on that day. You could decide that you're going to use that time to like roll around on the floor and stretch a little bit and take a nap. Like the point is that time is for you. And I think now more than ever, we need to allow ourselves to be like flexible because sometimes to your point, talking about how sometimes you like go to a yoga class to feel calm and maybe you don't feel calm. Sometimes you maybe need that stillness 
Sometimes you need something more vigorous. Sometimes you need classical piano and sometimes you need jazz. You know what I mean? Or anything in between. No, I, I really agree and love that. And I I just really feel for parents in particular because our society is just not set up for parents to thrive. And um, especially the parents that I tend to see, which are the parents that are doing yoga, that are doing somatics, like you really care about your overall health and well-being and you know that it impacts your child when yes. you're more regulated and you can be more present with your child, it's it's a better experience for everybody. So I really feel for parents who are doing this work because our, our society is really not set up well for you guys. Um, so you have to just, there's a lot of acceptance, I, the acceptance piece of like, this is the world we live in. Yeah. And I'm going to do the best I can without being so hard on myself. And um, yeah. One, one shift that I, I will share that is a common experience as you go through the stages of menopause because estrogen, even though it's fluctuating, but it's overall declining, uh-huh. and estrogen bonds to oxytocin, which uh-huh. is the bonding hormone. Yeah. Um, so it can feel like you might feel less capacity and less desire to take care of things because you're not getting that hormonal reward. Oof. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, and that's a very common experience of like, oh, I used to love taking care of everything. And now I'm frustrated and depleted and I'm not getting, I don't feel as good. Like, I don't want to take care of you. I literally said to my husband last night, like, he's like, do you want to give the dog a treat? I'm like, you give the dog a treat. <laughs> And so really just understanding that like that's okay. Um, there even if you don't know the reason behind it, just really having a lot of acceptance. Um, and there are things you can do to increase oxytocin and this or that, but like, you know, just I think the acceptance piece is so, so, so crucial where it's like you're not gonna feel good all the time. Yeah. Hard pill to swallow, but absolutely. What else do you have to add? Did we miss anything here? Is there anything else that you super want the people to know? Yeah, just that if you feel like you're at some kind of plateau or you are you had a moment on this podcast where you're like, holy crap, that's me. You are not alone. Mm. Most people are every, if you're lucky enough, if you're lucky enough to be alive for long enough, you will go through this transition um, of the late, of the, of the menopause. Mm-hmm. You are not alone, even if it's not talked about, even if there's a bit of shame or grief or all the many feelings that come along with going through the stages of menopause, known or unknown, you are not alone. There are resources out there. Um, Join a circle of women talking about this. Like It is so healing to hear other people's experiences and know, even if the content's a little different, that you're not alone. Like, you're not hanging off the edge of the cliff by yourself. We're all out here hanging off the cliff together. Yes. And I will I will add to that. If anybody is listening to this and is resonating with anything that Diana is saying here, like, please feel free to DM me and tell me what is up. Send me an email, something. Let me know that you are feeling this too, because same. Yeah. Wow. 
where where can we find you and how can we potentially work with you or take your class? Yeah, so my you can go straight to my website, dianamay.com. I actually am hosting a a, met, a women's circle, a menopause circle. Okay. That is something I'm trying to do just because I, I really want people to be supported in this transition. So my website, Instagram, all the usual stuff. And I will link to all of that in the show notes. And are you, you're still teaching yoga online? Yes, I'm teaching solely online. Okay. This is exciting because I mentioned this in the intro, but Diana and I originally connected because she was one of my first yoga teachers and one of my favorites. And a whole nother podcast episode for another day is how I have lost touch with that yoga aspect of myself for a whole lot of reasons and trying to get back into it without bringing in some of the more, um, not to overuse the word toxic, but like the toxic parts of yoga culture that are abound. Um, and so I think I maybe need to come take your class again. And so, um, join me friends. Well, I would love to come take your strength training class because as somebody who is aging, I really like the feeling of getting stronger in my body. Yes. And it's so, you know, when I was teaching yoga and doing strength training simultaneously, I talked a lot about like the two and the way that they interplay together and, um, you know, kind of how yoga helps with strength training and strength training helps with yoga and, uh, how they're both really nice tools to have in your toolbox. And I think that's probably, Diana, correct me if I'm wrong, the takeaway that we want you to have is that both things are good. We're not saying like only do chill things or only do intense things or, you know, vice versa, never do one or the other, but really tuning into your body and being aware of how you're supporting or how like how you're supporting the movement that you choose with your outside habits and then on the flip side how you are also using the movement choices that you make to support you in every given moment and how that's going to change from a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I love that. Yay. Well, it was so great to talk to you. Again, I will link to all of your info in the show notes and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Jenna. Ah, that was the conversation. I didn't know that I needed to hear today. So, so good. I am going to link to all of Diana's info, how to follow her, how to work with her in the show notes. And as always, uh, if you like this episode, go leave us a five-star rating and review so that this podcast, this message can reach even more people. Uh, Have a great day. Have a great week. We'll talk soon. Thanks again for tuning into Tough Cookie Talks. I'm so glad you're here. If you want to learn more about me and how we can work together, visit my website, itsjennaj.com or follow and tag me on Instagram at itsjennaj. I would love to hear from you. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, make sure you click subscribe and follow along so that you don't miss a single show. Then take a moment and leave me a five-star rating and review so that we can help this podcast and this message reach even more people. Have a great week and we'll talk soon.